0: Okay, so today, yes, we are going to be looking at our, you know, our final uh, passage in our series of, you know, famous, popular Sunday school stories, and this happens to be one of my favorite, and it's well known for many of you. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the parable of the prodigal son and his brother and the father. So today, I ask you to stand as you're able in body and spirit in honor of the reading passage from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region, and there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the region, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. But the father said to his slaves, "...quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and he replied, "'Your brother has come home, and your father killed the fatted calf because he's gotten him back safe and sound.' Then he became angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, "'Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends.' But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, when Sam does the children's moment an intersection. He normally calls me and says, hey, what's the direction? You know, what, what are you going to talk about? Let's just let's, let's kind of have a conversation about it. We didn't this time, this is how much we're alike, because I was going to highlight for you guys at the beginning of my sermon about losing things, but it made me think of a story. I have a lost dog story I do want to share with you. I'm going to go a different direction with my lost story, but I do have a lost dog story. This was happened over Christmas It's the dog that's no longer with us now. It was my a dog I got in high school and brought into our married life. But this was over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. He stayed outside quite a bit. He was more of an outside dog. That's kind of how he grew up and came inside on bad weather days and things like that. Now my current two dogs are completely couch potatoes. They're always inside. But this dog lived outside. Well, Christmas Eve in a family's household is always just busy with activities of going to church. We do a Christmas Eve dinner at our house for the family afterwards. You know, you've got Santa Claus at night, and then you've got Christmas morning, and all these things that you're doing. Well, this was like the day after Christmas. I was sitting on my couch just scrolling through, and I was looking at, you know, just some of the postings. You know, sometimes people will post, lost dog. You know, if you see this dog, we're looking for this dog or whatever. I saw this dog posted by some shelter. I was like, "Huh, that dog looks a lot like my dog." I thought about it, but nah, nah. Surely we went out and fed him and did all. Surely he's out. Nah, that's not him. Went scrolling, and I just wouldn't leave my mind. I was like, Let me just go out in the back and call him. Went out back, called him. Nothing. Called him again. Nothing, told Laura Beth. I said, I think that's our dog on this this shelter website. So we went to the shelter. Sure enough, there he was. And poor fellow, what happened was we had had bad weather the night before. And um, apparently it wasn't bad enough to bring him in. He stays on our back porch. But apparently he got skittish and we were all just, our mind was elsewhere. He got out the fence, apparently got out the neighborhood, went down Rice Road in the rain, then got in the intersection, the police had to get involved, he got to ride in the police cruiser, he had quite the adventure all over Christmas, and then he ended up at the shelter. So yes, I didn't know I lost a dog, but I lost a dog. We're very good dog parents, by the way, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's just that particular dog. He escaped, later in life he got a little, you know, absent-minded and would wander, he ended up in the neighbor's yards through the fence, so anyway, so I've had my lost dog story, but we've all lost things. Yeah, Sam asked the kids, you know, things that they have lost, some things we never will find that we've lost until you move your house and you're like, oh, there it is. But I went to the Google and just Googled statistics on losing things. And so this website came up that's wanting you to buy their little Bluetooth tracker for your devices, you know, to make you feel like you can't keep things straight. Gave all these statistics on losing things. Interestingly, you spend on average two and a half days A year looking for lost items. Two and a half days looking for lost items. Apparently it cost America $2.7 billion a year, okay, because if it's something important, you have to rebuy it. right, And if it's you know your car keys, you can't get to work. And if you're late to work, some jobs don't like that, so you can have some consequences there. So it cost Americans $2.7 billion a year. The number one Common item that is lost the most, car keys was two. I'll give you that one. So it's not car keys. It's going to be wallets three is the remote, the house remote. And all these smart TVs, I blame them. These smart TVs, these remotes are way smaller than the big bricks we had growing up. And they fit really nice in between couch cushions or underneath the couch where you can't find them. And Roku is smart. They know it. When you're on your Roku home screen, they're like, hey, click here to buy a new remote. I'm like, well, how do you click there to buy a new remote in the first place? But they want you to buy another remote because they know you've lost that small Roku remote. But remotes are number one, car keys, number two, wallets, number three, glasses are another item that are lost. And it usually takes you about five minutes of looking on average for something that you lose, up to 15 max. Now, the couch is the number one culprit where things go. That's the number one culprit. Like over 40% of your things, you're going to lose something, try the couch. Next thing, pockets and purses. Guys for your pockets, girls for your purses. Some of the purses, you can lose your whole hand looking in there, okay? And so yes, those are some of the other items that you have to look for lost things. Now, I'm not trying to generationally shame anybody, but which generation do you think loses the most things? It's us millennials. We're two times more likely to lose stuff for some reason then the baby boomers don't lose things. So maybe they have less things to keep up with. I don't know. But that's kind of some of your statistics on losing things. Okay? On losing things. Who would have thought you would have done all this research on losing stuff, but apparently they do, and they want you to buy their Bluetooth tracker and put it on everything so you don't lose stuff. Well, this parable today that Jesus tells us fits nicely in a set of parables about lost Things, about lost things. You see, at the beginning of the 15th chapter, Jesus is uh, interacting with his normal crew, tax collectors, people on the outskirts of society that folks don't like to be around. He's hanging out with those guys and those gals. And guess who's there in the background just talking bad about Jesus? Oh, it's the Pharisees. They're sneering. They're grumbling, as it says. They grumble a lot. And so Jesus turns to them and tells them three parables in the 15th chapter of Luke. The first parable is about the lost sheep. About the lost sheep. The other parable is about the lost coin. And then the third and final parable here is about the lost son or the lost sons. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at all the characters in this Bible story. And as we go through this, see where you fit in in this story. See where you fit in in the parable of the lost son. Because I bet each and every one of you at one moment has been one of the sons. Has been one of the sons. So it starts out with Jesus said, There's a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my wealth. Or of the wealth that will belong to me. And so the father divided his assets between the boys. And a few days later the younger son gathered his investment, his wealth. And traveled to a distant region where he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. So it is kind of bold, right? For one of the sons to go to his father and say, hey, go ahead and give me my inheritance. Go ahead and let's cash it out. I want it now. Typically, those things don't happen until the father passes away, right? And then it goes to the oldest son, and then it goes down the line that way. But he's like, no, let's go ahead and cash it out. And the father right there she just said, absolutely not. You have lost your mind. You will literally have to take it from my cold, dead hands. You're not getting your inheritance. Absolutely not. But he gave it to him. He gave it to him. And an inheritance in that day and age was land, and animals. And so, even if the father was going to go ahead and give one of his sons the inheritance, the wealth, the land, and the animals that went with it, he would more likely just leased it to him, let him have it, but still maintain some control of the land until he died. But no, he gave him his inheritance. And so, what did he do? He cashed it out. He went to Vegas and had a party. He lived there for a while. Spent it all. It's kind of like when you look at lottery winners, most of them usually spend it all. You think out of all that you couldn't set some of it aside, but no. All this money? Yeah, let's cash out and let's go party. So that's what he did. That's what he did. And then he spent through the money. He blew through it. And then famine happened. Something tragic happened to where he needed that money. He needed food, places to stay. So, what did he do? He went and hired himself out. He went on the side of the road and said, We'll work for food. We'll work for food. And so, this had to be pretty, pretty low place for the guy. That he'd have to go and see if a Gentile will hire him. And what did he do? He fed pigs. Pigs were unclean animals to Jewish people. We may not have picked up on that because we're used to eating pork and bacon and all that good stuff, right? But for Jewish people, pigs were unclean animals. And so here he is feeding unclean animals, hired himself out, working probably for a Gentile, so he can eat. So he can eat. And there he is, down on his luck. I mean, when we're down on our luck, If you lost it all, you're probably sitting there thinking, how did I get to this point? How can I get out of this situation? What, What can I do? Nobody wants to be there feeding the pigs in their life. No one wants to be there. So, this is what he said. He said that my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare. But here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. And go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. He made the decision. You know what? I'm going to go back home. Maybe they'll take me. Maybe I can be a hired hand in my father's house. And maybe I can at least eat some bread. It's time to go home. You know, for a young person that went out with all this money saying life is great, I'm going to make it on my own, all this pride. And we may have been in those moments in our lives too where, you know what, I have failed miserably, I've made a big mistake, I've got to go back home and admit that I was wrong. Some of us may have been in that, this position before or once in our life, and it's a tough position to be in. And this is where this guy in the parable finds himself, the younger son. So he set off and went to his father, But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. The son returns home. And even before the son can say anything to the father, before the son can say, I'm sorry, I screwed up, take me back as one of your higher hands, before he can say any of that, the father saw him from far off and ran to him. Now for us this may not be a big deal. Oh, so he ran to his son. No, it is a big deal. In that culture, the older you get, it is shameful to run. You know, as we get older, we're saying, we're, we're too old for that. But in that culture, it's not just like, oh, I'm too old for that. I don't need to run. It was a shameful thing to be running. One of the things that happens more than likely with what you're wearing when you're running, in that culture you didn't want to expose too much leg. When you're running, your legs get exposed. And you're shaming yourself when that happens. So he did something that was considered shameful for a man in old age, which was to run and have his legs exposed towards his son. It was a shameful act. But in that moment, the father didn't care if it was a shameful act or not, his compassion overwhelmed him to the point where he ran to his son that has been gone and that had burned through his inheritance. The other thing that is supposed to happen that didn't, that we may not pick up on, but the people that were hearing the parable would have picked up on, is that at times when someone sells an estate in that culture, sells their land, sells their property, and goes to a foreign land. And then they come back. Not all the times are they accepted. There's a ceremony called the Kiza Ceremony. And this is how the ceremony is supposed to work. When the individual who's left the community, sold the land, went away, and needs to come back, the community would greet this individual at the beginning at the entrance of the gates, or the beginning of the entrance of that town, village, wherever it is, would not let them come in. And the community would be carrying a, a vessel made out of pottery, a pottery vessel <clears throat> made out of clay, and they would drop it in front of this individual, signifying you are not welcomed here. You have broken and severed your connection to this community by selling your estate, and you are no longer part of us. And then each person in that community takes a piece of that pottery as a remembrance of that event, of the brokenness of that individual and what they caused, as a, something to go by and to remember, to never let them in. And so what should have happened is that when this prodigal son comes back, he would have been met with the community in a community and a vessel, and they would have broken it before him and turned him away. But what happened was the father got out ahead of the community and ran and greeted him. Shamed himself in the process, but hugged and kissed him with compassion. And so the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. So it's a celebration where it should have been a moment of rejection. But because of the father's compassion, he told his servants to get the robe. Get the family. Get him a ring, singing that he's part of the family again. Give him shoes so he's not walking around barefoot clothe him not only give him just the bare basics but give him the best and kill the fatted calf now fatted calves can feed over over 100 people so this is gonna be a big party a big celebration because what was lost now is found so they celebrate and this would have been a happy ending story you know you can just see this playing out in your head oh yeah everything's great woohoo he's back But then there's the other son, working in the fields, probably doing double duty, because younger brother's been out having the best time of his life. And he comes home. He comes home, and then he sees and hears the the singing and the laughter and the music, everything, the dancing. It's like, oh, okay now, something's going on. So he called out to one of the slaves, the the older son did, and asked, what's going on? And he said, the slave said, your brother's come back home. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he's gotten them back safe and sound. So the reaction they say that he had, I think we all can say we've we've been there. We can can get it. We can get it. Because it says then he became angry. And he said, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going in. He did us wrong. I'm not going to go in and say everything's all right. Kumbaya, forgive and forget. No, not doing it. But his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed a command yet. You've never given me even a young goat so that I can go out and celebrate with my friends resentful i get it we've been there but this is what the father does the father also cares about this son because it was shameful for the host of a party to leave the party he's supposed to stay there and invite the guests to the table but he leaves the party when he realizes his other son's not coming in and he pleads with him He doesn't say, no, I'm your father and you're coming in now, end of story, or I'm cutting you off. No, he pleads with him, come back, come back. But the son is resentful. He said, I've worked hard, I've done everything you've said, but you wouldn't even give me a goat. You wouldn't even let me take the nice car out for a spin with my friends. I ain't going in. But this is what the father says. The father says, "Son, you've always are with me, and all that is mine is yours." But we had to come and celebrate. We had to come and celebrate. You know when the son, the older son was talking to the dad, one thing I don't know if you picked up on was that this son of yours is now back in town. Signifying that he has cut himself off from his brother, he doesn't even acknowledge that this is his brother anymore. But says, this is this son of yours. But the father in this dialogue said, "But we had to come and celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and he has been found." You see, the father says, no. He's not cut off from the family. Despite what he has done, he is back." And he is your brother. He is always your brother. Always was, always is, and always will be your brother. He is your brother. And so he said we must celebrate. We must celebrate and welcome him back. Now, you know, in this parable, as I said earlier, we've all have probably been... One of the sons, both of the sons at moments in our life, right? And we know who the father is in this story. is Jesus, right? We can, we can pick that up. And interestingly, <clears throat> prodigal means wasteful. Throwing things out there. Throwing it out there freely. So the story of the prodigal son makes you think, oh, the son that spent the inheritance money. But could this also not be the story about the prodigal father and his amazing grace and how he gives it freely? How some would say you're wasting your love and grace on these individuals? How can you love these people? How can you love these tax collectors and sinners? How can you love the one that is struggling with addiction or who has cheated on his family or who has done wrong with this money? How can you love those people? It's wasteful to throw it away to them. But no, it is not wasteful. But it is what we're called to do. And what Jesus does is to love extravagantly. Even when it doesn't make sense, we are called to love extravagantly. And so you can say it's the wasteful father and the wasteful grace. You can say that. But what it shows is that our Savior was willing to humiliate himself to the point of the cross, as the Father humiliated himself by running in the field and by leaving the party to save sinners like you and me, to save those that society says are unworthy. But what we need to remember is those that are unworthy, there are brothers and sisters too we want to cut them off from us and disassociate ourselves with us but no god says they're your brother and they're your sister you need to love them too and so this is why it's one of one of my most favorite parables because it hits home it hits home for many of us many of us have been in the position of either son but yet we also are in the position where we have a god that loves us despite our mistakes That when we are lost, does not give up, doesn't stop the hunt, doesn't stop the watch. It's not like me when I realize, oh, my dog's lost and I didn't even know it. We have a God that is there with us, guiding us, loving us. And a God that will hunt for us when we are lost. And so that is something that we should celebrate. That is something that is called the good news That is the truth we need to live out in our lives. We don't need to let the world tell us what God is. We see it here in Scripture. The Holy Spirit, as it moves through us, we experience God. We read about God and his love for his creation and how he sent Jesus for us. And so that is the truth we need to live out in our lives. We need to love as Jesus has loved we need to show the world what that looks like. Give them the example because you know what? Right now there's a lot of bad examples out there of what love your neighbor could look like. The right way to do it is how Scripture tells us is that we extravagantly love those that even society wouldn't love. That we are there for them. We provide for them. We are a shoulder for them to lean on. We tell them the good news about a God that will love them despite their mistakes. That no one will love you as much as God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to turn that love away. Even if you squander your inheritance on dissolute living. When you come back home, he will be there welcoming you. Killing the fatted calf. and Inviting everybody to celebrate. So may we live into that truth this week. May we give our praise and our thanksgiving for God this week in that truth. Let us pray.